the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited today to be sitting down with Nivi Achanta, who is the founder and CEO of Soapbox Project. Soapbox Project curates meaningful action pathways for professionals who are overwhelmed by the climate crisis. When Nivi isn't writing, speaking, teaching, or building community, you can find her in Seattle reading books, kayaking, baking sourdough, or trying to keep her plants alive. Nivi and I talked about joyful activism, the power of self-efficacy, and the importance of self-care rituals for community leaders, among so many other things. I am so excited for you to listen to our conversation. so excited to be joined today by Nivi Achanta, who is the founder and CEO of Soapbox Project. Nivi, welcome to the podcast. It's so exciting to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. It is absolutely my pleasure. Um, I guess before we jump into all the things, if you wouldn't mind, um, would love for you to take a moment just to briefly introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah. So hi, everyone. My name is Nivia Chanta. I am a self-proclaimed party sorceress, which means that I love to host events. I love to bring people together and I love to do that in the context of making things more meaningful. So my real job is as the founder and CEO of a company called Soapbox Project. And it is a community that combines personal responsibility and collective action and fun because we live in a really overwhelming world sometimes and I want to do my part to unnoodle all the complicated things and bring people together while doing that. Oh, I love it. And I love like both collective action and fun, I feel like are two things that are so core to me and my work. And I just think we need more of both of them. So I'm so excited to talk to you more about what that looks like. I would love to hear all about Soapbox Project and what you do there, Nivi. Yeah, thank you for asking. I will rewind a tiny bit to just give you some more context of what life used to be like pre-Soapbox and why I started it. So Before starting this awesome, friendly social justice community that is now known as Soapbox, I used to work at Accenture, which most people know what that is, but if you don't, it is around a half a million employee tech consulting firm. And although I am really grateful for the time that I spent there, (laughs) let me just say it was not me living my best life with my best friends (laughs) on the best planet. And I basically, I just felt like I was lacking purpose and this all came to a head in 2018 during the California campfire 
And for people that aren't from California, you might not know this, but basically it is the deadliest and most destructive fire to date. And it happened in 2018. And the, the area paradise where it was located was only about three hours north of the office I was working in in San Francisco. But when I went to work, like a few days after the fire broke out, Nobody seemed to be doing anything about it. And I was really confused because, you know, we had probably millions or more dollars in revenue and in our, you know, corporate impact budget. And every time I, I, I spent about 48 hours, like a period of 48 hours reaching out to people within the company, asking what I could do, how I could get involved. And across the board, the responses were pretty much like, oh, good job, thank you for trying to do something, and you can go donate to Red Cross. And I was very frustrated by that response because I knew looking around the office that there were a lot of people that had the time. You know, it was around the holiday season, so a lot of people were between projects, and so I knew that we could do something more. And long story long, I, even though I was only a year into my career and a year into working at Accenture, I put together this proposal and I sent it to leadership and I was like, hey, this is what I want to do. This is the team that I'm looking for. Can you give me money? And they said yes, which totally shocked me. I was only doing it so that I could kind of feel like I did all that I could, even if I got rejected. But against all odds, they let me, you know, have my money and my team. And the reason that I went into this whole backstory is because I felt before starting soapbox i felt that you know there's not a lot that people can do unless they have experience or the right connections or the right whatever knowledge but in 2018 as a basically newbie to this entire space of social and environmental justice and disaster response i did something and it worked and so soapbox basically is that exact premise of Everything is so overwhelming, like climate change is so overwhelming, you know, we're in the aftermath of a global pandemic, there are so many issues raging around us, and most of us feel like somebody else is going to solve it, or, you know, we are not the people that are going to step up and do something, but in 2018, I realized that even if you consider yourself just an ordinary person, you are the one with the skills and the knowledge and the resources. And so Soapbox is about identifying those, building community, and basically combining personal responsibility with collective action, and most of all, having fun doing it, because I think that is hugely missing from the activism space. Oh my goodness. Well, I couldn't agree more about the importance of fun in the activism space, and I am all about collective action. Um, I so love this idea of, well, and also just want to celebrate you for like not waiting for permission to do something, but looking around, seeing an opportunity and choosing yourself to do something. I'm also so curious if you don't mind sharing, what was your proposal and your team at the time? <laughs> yeah, thank you for asking. So, um, and also thank you for celebrating that. It was, it was really weird. I think it's not a muscle that most of us ever build in corporate America or in the corporate world because usually you just you know you do what you're told until you're a manager and maybe even then you have clearly scoped out work especially if you're not at a startup and so for me that proposal so an important piece of information and why I, I was so invested in this is because my fiance's family is from paradise and so 
there, you know, his family, his parents' house burned down, which was his childhood home, and all of their relatives lived there too. And so it was personally a really scary time. And so the proposal, I had actually called one of his best friends who is a nurse. And so she was setting up a bunch of volunteer efforts and medical efforts. And uh, something unique about Paradise is a lot of people are not only above the poverty or below the poverty line, they're also above the median age. So there were a lot of elderly people that were struggling, you know, the prescriptions that they had literally burned in the fire and they weren't electronically backed up. So anyway, I got in touch with with my fiance's friend and was like, theoretically, if I was able to bring a bunch of people and a bunch of money up here, would it be helpful and what would we do? And so she basically said, yes, we need people that can help us get organized set up basic technology things like a volunteer form and she basically gave a list of things so I just my proposal was very simple it was just like why should we do this what do we need why is it good for the company and why is it good for the community and it was like a one page powerpoint slide with four grids and yeah I I basically did the whole thing in like maybe less than two hours just based on the information that she provided sent it and I think the reason I was able to send it so easily and fearlessly is that I legitimately thought that nobody would reply so I I just I took the full risk because it really just didn't feel like it would be a risk at the time and so I was completely shocked when they approved you know I think it was around it was almost twenty thousand dollars and it was a team of eight that I got to put together uh, and I asked for all of these numbers, thinking that even if they did approve it, it would be like half of what I asked for. But no, they fully funded the proposal and basically gave me complete autonomy over what to do, which in, which is very, very rare in the corporate world, especially for an entry level employee. Totally. That's amazing. What a like impactful and inspiring experience. Um just like stepping up and raising your hand. And I'm sure the community also so appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was probably the thing that I'm most proud of in my entire career. And definitely one of the things in my life, just, I don't know. I, I never, there was, there was no template for this sort of thing. And so it was really amazing doing it, seeing how we could be helpful and also learning from the paradise community because I think that was something that I wasn't expecting, right? Like as consultants, many people go in with some degree of ego and like, I can help you. And that's definitely how I was feeling. But I definitely learned so much more than I, I probably taught. I mean, I can actually say that without a doubt is the amount that we learned from their community on resilience and planning and just everything community related was so special. And I'm going to remember that forever. Wow. Yeah, I bet. I can only imagine. Well, I'm curious. So taking us from like 2018 to today, how did you go from, um, you know, being at Accenture and I'm guessing management consulting in some capacity to leading Soapbox projects? Yeah, that was another very, very unexpected trajectory of my life. If you had asked me in 2018, when this whole thing is happening, if you had come to me and said, Nivi, would you be an entrepreneur? I would say no, never. You know, like as much as I didn't love consulting in general, I liked having a 
salary and I liked going to a fancy <laughs> office and you know all of those all of those nice comforts in life uh honestly the the evolution first of all a lot of it was just like percolating in my brain for two years and after this experience it was a very empowering experience like for me to see that you don't have to be a director of a company to make a difference you can be literally a random confused person and so I had this thought and I was carrying it around with me and it just started to evolve and evolve and sometime maybe I think in 2019 you know the social issues never stopped whether it was wildfires whether it was something else and so I just realized, you know, whenever I try to take action, this is still me as a consultant at Accenture, whenever I try to take action, it feels like I don't know what to do to actually solve the problem. So I just started writing these newsletters for myself. I wasn't even probably calling it a newsletter at the time, but I would just pick these topics. I think one of them was like, you know, something heavy like sexual assault in the workplace. I, I'm not actually even sure what our first few topics were, but they were things that I felt really strong about and I would just spend a couple hours writing about the topic and researching and then writing some actions that people could take at the time people was just me and maybe a handful of friends that were like this is cool uh, but the more I started to do this the more I started to write about how about what the issues were and how people could take action in small bite-sized ways and the more I started to share this with my colleagues and stuff People got really hyped about it. And, you know, this was pre-2020, so I would see a lot of people in person. And they would immediately pull out their phones and sign up for my newsletter, which I, if I had to guess, was probably just like a very janky Google form at the time. And so it was a slow evolution, but the more I would share what I was doing, the more people would commiserate about how they feel like even though their life is pretty good, they feel like they could be doing so much more to give back and build community and find purpose. And it made me feel a lot less crazy for having all these thoughts. And yeah, it just really just stuff started to click in place. And then eventually I went full time and here we are. Wow, that's wild. Um and you definitely like hit a nerve in something that I think so many people have been feeling for a long time. Um, I'm curious, like, if you don't mind telling us more about like what did the actual moment of like deciding to go full time on Soapbox look like? Because I know for so many people who have entrepreneurial dreams, like that question of when to jump or when to go all in and like what does all in look like is something that's top of mind for so many people. Yeah, yeah. And I think we put a lot of pressure on that moment. And I'm really glad you're asking me to share because although so in 2020, I had it in my mind that at some point in 2020 or 2021, I would want to quit my job and go full time. I actually didn't have to. Well, I kind of didn't have to make that decision for myself because in August or September 2020, I got laid off from Accenture when I was already thinking about quitting but you know like I, I really don't know what my life would have looked like if I hadn't had that push and so what I had said to myself is that I'm gonna give this three months and if in those three months I don't you know build momentum for this project and make revenue it's going to just be a project and not a business and so that was kind of like the time-bound example that I had for myself and 
December 2020 rolled around and I was nearing the end of my window and I was like, okay, maybe this isn't for me or whatever because things were going okay, but they weren't, they didn't have the sense of momentum that I was hoping for. And so what happened in December 2020 is we got this amazing feature in the New York Times, which is like another one of those things that's just hard work and serendipity all mixed up. So that happened and that hit like a gigantic wave of momentum for us. And so I was able to choose to continue working on this thing. So I guess to answer your question, there were a few of these moments, but I will pretty confidently say that there's not really one aha moment for me for a lot of entrepreneurs. And I think that I think that I find a lot of people waiting for that moment to invest in their projects and their businesses. But I would say that like, if you can use your nights and weekends, just go, nothing is stopping you. So if nothing is stopping you, you know, especially if you don't have a family or if you don't have other responsibilities, I see way too many people using their full-time jobs as excuses to not make progress. But I think for me, you know, even when I was working at Accenture, I was also writing this newsletter and networking and talking to other entrepreneurs because I knew that I wanted to do something more. And even now I'm like, oh, you know, do I need five more income streams? So I would say that there is so much uncertainty in this journey. And it's more about it's not so much about finding that one moment, in my opinion, I think it's more about knowing that if you are an entrepreneur, your life is going to be uncertain forever. So you should just practice (laughs) taking advantage of all the uncertainty and make a plan on how you're going to operate within that. Oh my goodness. (laughs) There's so much in there that I that just so deeply resonated. Um, And I just so appreciate like how it's like I I had a kind of a similar story in that I had I had sort of put like April 2020 on my calendar as when I thought I might start my business. And then a new opportunity came along that I felt like I couldn't say no to. And so I took it. But then I got laid off very shortly thereafter, which was 100% the best possible scenario. Uh, But I'm like, had I not gotten laid off, would I have still kind of gone all in when I went all in? Um, And then you like, I felt like for me, it was like looking for those signs of like, I had kind of thought like six months to a year. uh, But I felt like I kind of like, needed those moments of like, okay, am I on the right path? Should I keep doing this? Because it is just like so much more uncertainty than collecting a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I also think that there's no shame in having a day job. And I feel like this was really true for me living in Silicon Valley. I felt that to be a real entrepreneur, whatever the heck that means, to be a real entrepreneur, you had to be only full time on your entrepreneurial pursuit. And I think that mindset doesn't really help anyone and it certainly doesn't help you like it's just kind of a meaningless source of shame and I also see I'm I'm really glad that I didn't quit my day job and I just you know waited for it to quit me in a way but I see so many people so many I, I was in a bunch of entrepreneurial support groups in when I was still living in San Francisco and I would see so many people prematurely quit their job because they felt some societal thing of you know I, I'm gonna go all in but I just think that everyone can find the path that works for them and there is no shame in making the money you need to make to sustain your business and even entrepreneurs at the highest levels have other revenue streams and you know some of them are coaches some of them are consultants some of them are paid board members 
but you never see them, you know, talking about how they're not full time on their business. And I think there's just all of this baggage about, you know, being full time or not. And I think it's perfectly fine to just navigate things at the speed that you want to and that makes sense for you. And I wish that that's something that I had been told earlier because I felt I I don't know, I just felt like Soapbox wasn't a real initiative for so long and I still have those feelings and it would be nice to be able to unpack them sooner. Definitely. I so I so agree with that. I feel like yeah, when you're like first getting started, I there's so many different ways I think to get creative to bring in the revenue that you need to sustain your life whether that's like from a paycheck but like I feel like often like trying to putting all the pressure for sustaining yourself in your life on your baby business is like a lot of pressure for a new business it is it is and for me I found that that made me make decisions out of desperation and trying all these things to get revenue which I actually didn't really believe in like we launched a b2b offering and it drained me and I kind of hated it and I and it was nice that it made money but it was really because I felt so desperate that any money that I make is has to be only through soapbox and like that that there nobody nobody's you know making a law that I oh the money I have to make has to come only from one place uh, so once I released myself from that mindset, I feel like I was able to make less toxic decisions that actually served me, actually served the community that I'm working towards. And it was very ironic that I'm like such a community and justice oriented entrepreneur, but I was making all these completely misaligned decisions out of that weird sense of societal pressure. But hopefully I'm over it now. I think it's still a struggle, but uh, I, I definitely wish I'd known that earlier. Absolutely. Well, I think the biggest lesson I've had in entrepreneurship is like, wherever I go, there I am. <laughs> so, Yeah, exactly. So profound, but so, so simple. <laughs> totally. Well, one other thing that you mentioned that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about is you mentioned the New York Times piece. And I have just say like, I have been so impressed by some of the like press and media features that you and Soapbox have received. Um, do you have any like words of wisdom or advice on like how you've been able to secure like such top tier press around your community and your work? I don't know about advice, but I can share some insight on how it happened. So one thing that I'll say is I, I wouldn't have known how to describe this in the past. Like if you asked me in 2020, how did I get this? I would be like, eh, I don't know. But now I realize that something about me is that I really look for opportunities to create serendipity where I can. And so I, I think that's kind of a skill. I mean, I don't know if I, you can call it a skill. I'm just going to call it a skill. I think it's a skill of its own to kind of have a little bit of a radar for, you know, when what are the types of things that will mm, create luck, I guess. Everyone hears that phrase, you know, you have to create your own luck. And for the specific times opportunity, I was in this one podcast group because I at one point started a podcast and this person was just asking about, you know, who has thoughts on capitalism? And I was like, I do. I think some people wouldn't even take the time to, you know, take time out of their day, reach out to a reporter, not know what comes out of it. But for me, I just follow those random leads and see where they go. And so that is where that opportunity came. Uh, I've also gotten a lot of great press through Dreamers and Doers, which we're involved in. 
And it's just kind of like keeping my eye out for these amazing communities and opportunities and reporters and honestly just like being open, I would say. So those are obviously those aren't like PR tips, but I would say that like there's a lot of there's a lot of great blogs and information on how to do PR. But I feel like my approach has been more so, you know, if a reporter hits me up for something random, I'll just follow that lead and see where it goes. Uh, things like that that I feel like aren't the how to do good PR but I see a lot of people turn away those opportunities because they feel like they're too busy or whatever but for me it's just fun to see what journalists are up to sometimes it'll turn into something and sometimes it won't but I think because I enjoy meeting new people and I like talking to people about their work it's resulted in a lot of amazing opportunities and helped me see that you know building your own luck is a skill in and of itself Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love that so much. And I feel like, yeah, there is so much to just sort of like, I like often call this energy like it's like being in the vortex. So just like being in that state of mind where like magic could happen at any moment. Yeah. And then I have this daily journal that I've been keeping on and off since 2013. Oh, wow. It's been a decade now. And it started off as me just writing down the positive things that happened in my day just so I guess it was a version of a gratitude journal before it was a concept that I had ever known about. Um, but over the past few months recently, I heard this researcher, I think his name is Dr. Christian Bush, and he researches serendipity and he wrote a book on serendipity and I read the book and I listened to his talk and it was great. But I, in my journal now, I try to write down one lucky thing that happened to me every day because the 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 thought or the hypothesis or the premise, whatever you want to call it, is that the more you actively search for luck, the more lucky you're going to be. And so I just I loved learning about that. And uh, it's definitely been working for me so far. So. Oh, how fun. What I love. Um, it's like the idea of like whatever you focus on expands. So if you're focused on all the ways yes, you're lucky, um, you're just creating like more opportunities to notice all the luck. Yeah. Is network on your 2023 to-do list? Hi there, it's Liz. If you're liking our conversation and our approach to personal development, career advancement, and living a life that turns you on, I invite you to join our community, the Girls Club Collective. We are the intentionally intimate personal and professional development community for women who are changing the world. Instead of asking for a seat at the table, we decided to build our own. Like most change agents and rebels with a cause, you don't often have enough hours in the day to change the world and cultivate a strategic network. If overwhelm has become your second language and you're feeling tired of trying to convince your own marketing team to actually read your ESG report, you're in the right place. We know that sometimes trying to make a difference can feel like being that one person out on the dance floor trying to get the party started. And that's why we created the Girls Club Collective. It's where women changing the world organize, and all you have to do is show up as yourself. We are the anti-establishment version of the Boys Club, reimagining ambition, and leading the movement of meaningful work fueled by moxie, strategy, and a little bit of magic. That means you not only gain access to a community of people you need to know, you'll also take a look at how you can grow as a leader, what you really want, and why your dream of living by the beach and working for yourself isn't as crazy as it sometimes feels. 
by offering monthly peer advisory, salons on timely and relevant topics, networking power hours, and more. The Girls Club Collective is your extended team, your extra brains, and an energizing environment that is geared toward your personal and professional growth. We believe that changing the world is a team sport. Join the collective designed for exactly that and use the code PODCAST, that's all caps, PODCAST, for 10% off your first year of membership. You can find the link to join us in the show notes. And I cannot wait to see you in the collective. Well, I know that joyful activism is something that you – are super interested in. It's something that's really important to you. Um, what would you say joyful activism is and how can we incorporate more of it into our everyday lives? I've been thinking about this a lot and I think that over the past two weeks, even my definition has been changing and evolving. And if you had asked me, even in the beginning of this year, what joyful activism means to me, I probably would have said something like, oh, you know, it's like, service but fun whatever um, I I think to me instead of joy being a part of activism which I think it definitely should be I'm kind of seeing it flipped around as we all as humans I would wager want to live a joyful and fulfilled life and I actually think that activism and service and community are a part of that and like a natural part of that and so a lot of people, for example, don't consider themselves activists, and that's fine if you don't, but most people would agree that they like helping others and they like, you know, assisting people in need and they like being generous when they can. And I think that I, I think there was like a study on how basically everyone across all political lines and whatever considers themselves a good person or the majority of people. And so for me, I'm still grappling with the definition and the concept of joyful activism, but I think the best way I can put it is when activism fits naturally into the joyful life that you want to live. And that can like that is accessible to everyone. And I think that's like the main thing that I want to underscore. You know, you can be you can be the owner of a clothing boutique and find ways to make a difference through your shop. You can be a sports commentator and find ways to use your voice to do good. And I think all of those things are not just about activism, but they're about, I would bet that if we were to commission some sort of study, people that do those things, I would bet are just happier and more aligned with their jobs and more aligned with their lives. And so that's kind of the case that I want to, make to more people is like yeah you want to live your best life that's great same here and in addition to you know the financial goals you want to achieve or whatever society tells you that you need I think that a, a big part of creating joy is giving back and leaving the world better than you found it because that like as humans I truly think we genuinely enjoy those things mm-hmm. well and I think so much too I think there's been so much research on how much more fulfilled we are when we feel like we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. So it's like how can we how can we feel like we're a part of something bigger than ourselves? How can we give back? How can we give our lives meaning um, and also have fun and create joy while we do it? Totally. 
Well, I know a big part of the work that you're doing through Soapbox is about like bite-sized changes that like someone, anyone could do to make a difference. Um, I'm curious, like why have you focused on like the bite-sized piece and thinking about um, activism and how people can contribute in making change? At first, I thought it was really selfish because the bite-sized aspect was I, I'm going to be honest, I was getting so overwhelmed by everything. You know, since in 2017, there was so much news coverage on detention camps and children, you know, being put in horrible situations. And through from then till now, there's been so much negative stuff about school shootings and guns and just the amount, the sheer amount of information out there. It really feels soul crushing and I assume that you can relate to that because we're all living in the same media landscape and it sucks and so at first the bite-sized thing was honestly a way to make myself feel better and that I could chip away at this at anything like I just I felt so paralyzed and stuck and hopeless and you know that's a very bad feeling where positive action does not come from and Although I wanted to, for example, change policies to make the education system better, I wasn't any school superintendent or a policy expert. And so the bite-sized thing was, okay, maybe I can't change the United States Department of Education right now, but what I can do this week is look up which schools that I can volunteer in to read for an hour. And that's something I love doing anyway, because I love working with kids. So those kinds of things, honestly, it started as a way to make myself feel better. And it was, for me, it was kind of the stepping stones to something bigger. And recently, I realized that that whole journey and process wasn't selfish at all. And it's, in fact, related to this concept called self-efficacy. Are you familiar with it? Or do you want me to explain what that is? I was actually going to ask you to explain it in just a second. So please tell us all about it. Okay, I'm so glad because this is probably my favorite concept right now, and I talk about it pretty much every day. Self-efficacy is just a fancy term for your belief that you can achieve your goals, and you can imagine that when there's a really big, messy goal, for example, like solving climate change or creating a just world, you ha- you can't give up because if you give up, then obviously that goal isn't going to be met. So self-efficacy is a foundational aspect to hope and optimism. And so there's actually been a lot of research done on the fact that as you do, as you achieve smaller actions, you can have the optimism and the hope and the motivation for the bigger ones because you are continually building that sense that, oh, yes, I can achieve my goals. And the reason that I know about this is from this book called Super Better, and it's all about video games and how they can basically improve your life. And if you think of any game that you've played, especially online, you know, they have these little quests that you can do and little points that you can unlock, even if the main mission is like fighting a bad guy or whatever. And so the, the, there has been so much research on how this is like a key concept in goal setting and goal achieving, whether or not we're talking about social issues. And so I just wait, I have a I have a follow up question on you, you were talking about the, the book and video games and the side quest. So how do the side quests relate to self-efficacy? Yeah. So because, OK, there's this one game that I play. It's called Overcooked or something. Have you played it? I have not. It's 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 just a really fun 
cooking game where you know you you have to like cook a bunch of dishes and otherwise the bad guy will eat you or something i'm probably explaining all wrong but the these like small you know they have little three minute quests that you can go on before the final boss battle that's like 15 minutes long and even from my own experience those three minute wins in the context of this game are so important because if i had to go right away and like do this 15 minute long battle i would just quit the game and in fact i haven't played it in a long time because i i feel like that 15 minutes was like too overwhelming um and even in i don't know how many games you play but basically there's just like so many long campaigns that you might have to face in a video game but when you have smaller side quests on little goals that you can achieve basically the the non-fancy answer is it it just helps you not give up because you've seen how you can do it in a small setting and that way you can imagine yourself doing it on a larger scale as well okay no i love that and i thank you for like drawing that like connecting those dots because that yeah I mean it makes sense and I'm not big into games but it makes sense in like so many aspects of life as well that you like you get those like bite-sized wins and they like give you the confidence to like go after like the harder longer thing yeah yeah and confidence is such a key part of this especially in the context of activism because if you don't have the confidence then you know you're it's just so easy to give up and so I, I've just loved learning about self-efficacy and it makes me feel a lot better on the importance of the smaller goals and how they can connect to the bigger ones. And uh, one quick example is I'm part of my local Greenways Association and they do they help fight for bike lanes and transit improvements. And because I'm seeing how many wins that they're able to get, even if it's something as simple as like a bike lane on one street, I am now now actually this weekend I did an outreach project where you go door to door to businesses and that's something I would have never done because it sounds really scary but because I was able to participate in signing a petition online and going to this random training I felt really confident in my ability to do the door to door outreach and it was awesome so yeah self-efficacy love the concept and highly recommend super better either the book or the ted talk or both ah love it um thank you so much for indulging us on that when i'm curious in a similar vein um how have you found that founding and leading a community has contributed to your own personal and professional growth over the past few years founding a community has been basically the best decision of my whole life and it's just so much easier to stay motivated and stay joyful and just I don't know feel like a good human being when you're seeing what other people around you are doing like even on my worst days with soapbox I still see people posting in the community about their own wins even if I have not contributed to those in any way it's just there's something so special about seeing a group of people share progress and momentum and it just feels like the whole burden isn't on you. That's something that I feel like we should never be feeling anyway, but we do. And I, I think that's like a, a big reason a lot of people burn out, whether that's in terms of being a founder, in terms of being an activist, in terms of being a teacher. Obviously, there's many systemic issues to burnout. And I do think one of those on both a systems level and a personal level is the lack of community. And so founding the Soapbox community like now I can't give up, you know, because if I do, I'll be letting down a whole group of people. And so 
that has been really key to my own motivation and to my own just sense of optimism. I think I think since since founding the community, I would say that I have completely conquered my climate anxiety, which is a really big thing to say when things keep getting worse and worse on a factual level. I'm still angry about climate change and I'm still angry about the people that are consciously overlooking the situation and actively harming it and you know I have a lot of fear and a lot of other feelings towards it but I don't feel anxious because I think being in a community gives you a very unique sense of control over your own actions and how they affect others and I I really do think it ties back into the whole notion of self-efficacy like I feel at least in control of my own life even if things externally are getting worse I, I I know that I have the support to navigate this together what it looks like we still don't know but like just there's no other feeling like knowing you have a strong support system definitely when I think especially like you know as I've experienced in leading the girls club community um, both previously as the mastermind and today as the collective so often I think when you're working as a change agent, it can feel so lonely, especially if you're like one of a few people or the, maybe the only person inside an organization trying to like push things in a new and different direction. Um, but when you are in a community and you can look around and like really like viscerally feel that you are like not in this alone, that there are other amazing people who are also doing this work. Um I do think it can like – at least I found for me, it gives me so much more of a sense of like hope and momentum than just like me, Liz, like at my laptop alone on a random Wednesday. I Totally, 100%. <laughs> Um, Well, I know in addition to leading your community, you also help other people create meaningful communities. And I'm curious, given your like strategic community building expertise, um, what would you say are like the top one, two, or three things that you think people should know before they start on their own community building journeys? Yeah, thank you for asking. I am obsessed with community, but I just love it so much. And I love that this is now being a recognized skill in the working world because I feel like many people, especially women of color, women in general, I would also say, have been doing the work of community building for, you know, long uh, decades, centuries, maybe even longer. And it's usually been unpaid and behind the scenes. And now it's like a thing that people are aware of. And it's awesome. And I'm really excited to, I'm always down to talk about community building but I would say probably the number one thing which might sound really like a silly and obvious thing to say is know why you're building a community I cannot tell you the number of people that I've worked with I actually when I decide to take on people for part-time projects or even to help them on a one-off basis that is the that is where we'll spend a lot of our time determining we're a good fit because I will not I will not work on a community if the person isn't clear why they're doing it or if the reason is very superficial. So, for example, some people say, oh, you know, I want to get more customers or even when people say, oh, I want to connect people. I don't think that's a strong enough why because you can connect people in a million different ways. So if you don't have a clear sense of what community means to you and your context and why you're doing it, then I would say 
it is a good idea to spend more time thinking about it because people really, 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 really underestimate the amount of work that goes into structurally creating an online, well, not necessarily just an online community, but just structurally creating a community that lasts. So I think that that's the first thing. The second thing is you need to have a clear sense of your values and what they are because especially if you are working in a community context where you're focused on growth and you know you want to expand the number of people that are coming in or anything like that there will be a point in your journey where you have to make tough decisions and those tough decisions can be for example choosing to mute someone who's saying something that might be in the gray area of disrespectful during a call or it can be choosing to address or not address a worldwide conflict and you're not sure how it sits in your community or you know it can be any number of things and having a values-based framework I think is the only way to consistently make decisions so those are those are like the top two things uh I'm gonna stop it too because otherwise I feel like I'll ramble on and on about all the things that I've learned (laughs) so I would say having a really strong why and like what community means to you and having an understanding of your values and the behaviors associated with them is that's I I think a necessary starting point. I so appreciate that. And I do think it's, I so appreciate you pointing out too. It's like when a community is running well, I think like all the work that goes into running it can, can be invisible. It only becomes visible like often when things aren't going well. (laughs) And so having that why to like motivate you to put in all the work to like create all the structure that works in a way that it's like almost invisible um, is like so necessary, I think, both for starting and then for like keeping going as you go. Well, something that you wrote about recently that really inspired me was about the importance of self-care rituals for community leaders. Um, So what would you say a self-care ritual is and why do you feel like they're especially important for those of us who create, lead, and facilitate communities? I'll answer the second part of that first, which is it is so – I mean, Liz, you know this probably. It's so – I mean, your whole business is built around this. Just so easy to burn out as a community leader or and or as someone working in the impact space because it can feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. And instead of motivating, sometimes it motivates us to do better, but sometimes it can also be really physically and mentally and spiritually crushing. And I can can hear it in your voice that you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, it can be, it can just, it can be a lot. Um, And it also, I think, can be, it's really emotionally intense as well. So it's so emotionally intense. And I would argue even for communities that are more, I don't want to say superficial because that's not the word I'm looking for, but maybe you can help me. But for example, like a computer science community, not that their work is superficial, but maybe it's okay. Maybe it's inherently less emotional, but I would say even for those kinds of communities and community builders, self-care rituals, I'll get into that in just a second, are so important because As a community leader and facilitator, your job, in my opinion, is to protect the people and serve the people into your community. And so I kind of think that we we are this like giant energy holder slash barrier slash manager. And we're kind of working with 
not just our own energy and emotions, but the energy and emotions of all the tens or hundreds or thousands or even more. I don't know how big people's communities can get, but we are working with so many complicated, beautiful, and sometimes difficult <laughs> humans. And so having self-care rituals, which is a relatively new concept for me, is super important. And so in the self-care discussion, Liz, I'm sure you we're all probably familiar with this, but you know, when you Google self-care, you'll probably see bath bombs and candles and you know, all of those very pastel gradient cues on taking care of yourself, but I I just have a problem with that. I have a problem with the fact that self-care is very consumeristic because Oh my gosh, have you um have you read Pooja Lakshmi's new book, uh, Real Self-Care? No. No, but I should, huh? Oh my gosh, it's so aligned with like it's so aligned with this. It's like, you know, self-care is not a commodity. It's like boundaries and <laughs> taking a break. I cannot wait to read that book and I'm definitely I I'm seriously so excited for that recommendation. Uh but yeah, I mean for people that aren't thinking about this, I would say it it's really easy to buy into that, right? It sounds great to buy a new candle. Why not? But there is just so much research done at this point that the material things are not what contributes to your well-being. And sometimes, oftentimes, having too many possessions actually stresses you out. And so self-care rituals, I would say, are more about setting up a system for yourself and those things that you mentioned, Liz, boundaries, and probably all the other genius things that she would say in her book. And it it doesn't have to be about buying anything. And it's more so about taking time for yourself. I'll give you an example because I think that's the easiest way to understand it is one of my favorite community building experts, Tatiana, she actually is the one that put me onto this whole concept. And she said every time she hosts a live event, I think, or every time something goes slightly off kilter, she goes for a long walk and gets a slice of pizza and a grape soda. And I just loved that she has like a specific trigger situation and then a plan that happens afterwards. And so I've started to do the same thing is identifying a few high emotional, either high stress or like highly emotional situations in the community that I run. So I think live events are often a big one. Uh, sometimes like, if you're doing a whole day of your community operations, that can be really draining. I think it's important for us to identify like one to three big things that come up during our week or our month, and then maybe three or more things that consistently make us feel better. And so mine is when I was running my course on Tuesday mornings for six weeks, I would go for a long walk inspired by Tatiana and then get a bagel across my house. And so I'm still working on my little bank of what those are. And Actually, the book Super Better that I mentioned, um, she the author, I think, calls these power-ups, not really necessarily in the context of just self-care, but it's like having a little bank of things that will give you energy throughout the day, whether it's drinking water, whether it's looking at a picture of a cute baby. And so <laughs> the more and more I learn, the more I realize that all of these concepts are just really, really tied together. Absolutely. Well, and I feel like that's such a great reminder for me to work on my like bank of ideas for, um, yeah, for just those moments in the day or in the week that are more highly charged because uh, it does seem like carbs and a long walk are 
are common themes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's 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 great, and I would also say that like the the reason that it's that I have called it a ritual and not just do self care is that rituals happen on a regular cadence, and they have you know they happen pretty much religiously. Like that's the connotation, right? And so, it, this is not something that I would say both to myself and to people but mostly as a reminder to myself like you can't skip these it's so easy to do your event and be like okay no now I have way more work let me do my work and so I have basically made them non-negotiable uh for at least for like the six live courses that I teach during the cohort and I'm still playing around with when else I might need this but they're like if I'm calling it a ritual I'm trying to you know pretty much force myself to do it, but in a way that'll be good for my soul. Yeah, I love that. That is so smart. It's like blocking your calendar in advance, like mm-hmm. knowing that this is like non a non-negotiable commitment to yourself to really like mm-hmm. – because I think too, if, if we do just like move on to the next thing too quickly, we miss the moment to like really soak in what just happened and reflect and celebrate and like feel it in our bodies. Totally. Yeah, and it's something that I, I – before – this whole concept of rituals, I would totally just move on to the next and then catch myself feeling really bad about the things that I built. And then when I zoom out, though, it's like, oh, wow, what I'm doing is amazing. I've accomplished so much. But yeah, I think really taking that time is important. And uh, I'm a huge believer in it. And I hope that this belief will actually make me more disciplined about taking those moments and small wins, because it's a very difficult thing to you can you feel like there's no time to prioritize that even though that's a made-up yeah definitely it's like it's like actually the most important thing to prioritize and like the the often I feel like that like hustle culture is like embedded so deep Ugh, it is it's the worst it really is one of my favorite things to ask about on this show is about um, younger self advice. And so I'm curious if you had any advice or words of wisdom for young Nivy, like what do you wish that you could tell her and you could pick one age or just give some like general younger self advice? <laughs> well, Liz, young Nivy was a fool. So I don't know if you would <laughs> even listen to any of this. I, th- I think it would have to be some version of everything is going to be okay and trust the process. I definitely wouldn't have listened to something like that, but <laughs> I would try anyway. And, you know, the thing is, for some people, that's not necessarily true. You know, everything is – people have a lot of hardships. For me and for a lot of people that have the spare time to listen to podcasts and read books, things are going to be okay. Like, your life is fine, so – use those to take the risks that are aligned and I I guess I think I would have been able to accomplish a lot more or like be more creative if I wasn't always living up to somebody else's ideals of what things should look like and so I don't know I guess I would I guess I would encourage my younger self to find the things that that young Nivy is excited about because I would I pretty much think that my entire childhood it was just shaped off of what my parents wanted me to do, what my school wanted me to learn about. And I, I honestly don't even know if I had any hobbies of my own that I wanted to explore. Whereas now, so a very quick example of that is I used to, I was vocally trained in South Indian vocal music, Carnatic music. And that's a great, awesome skill to have. But 
at the time it wasn't very fun but now I <laughs> go karaoke like basically every single week and it feels a lot more joyful and a lot more fun and a lot more aligned to the life I'm living so I guess I would just hope to convince young Nivi that things are fine and because of that she should take time to explore what she wants to do um yeah I don't know and then I would probably my younger self would roll my eyes and keep walking but <laughs> I would try my best <laughs> oh, I love that so much I I feel like so many people have like some version of like it's gonna be okay <laughs> yeah yeah. And like also, I mean, like I know my younger self would have been like, okay, that's cute. But like <laughs> uh, well, in a similar vein, I am a sucker for an inspirational post-it note. And I have a not at all secret dream that I'm gonna like pull together all the inspirational post-it note messages from everyone who's been on this podcast. And so I'm <laughs> curious if you got one post-it to write like an inspirational message or phrase or reminder. Um, what would you most want to put on an inspirational post-it? I w- that's a great question. And I want to think about it more, especially as you make your secret, not secret project come true, because I love the idea. I think I think it would be something along the lines of you are doing it. You know, not so mm. much like you can do it, but like, I guess I would want to remind myself that the stuff that I'm doing now is awesome like even (laughs) doing this podcast with you if I was able to see just I want to celebrate I want to really be present for things like these moments and not everything has to be about extra revenue or whatever like these connections are so magical and I feel like life is so magical and some sort of reminder of you are doing it or whatever uh that would be amazing and then Something that I do want to get is for my little my local farmers market. There's a woman that does these inspirational quotes on little tiny easels, and I'm trying to get one commissioned from her that says, "Be brave to suck at something new." I'm absolutely I love that. I try to live it, and I just I just love the wording too of being brave to suck at something new. Ah. Uh. Yes, I love both of those just resonate so much. Um, And I, to the first one, I think, um, you know, I heard I just wrote in my newsletter this last week about, I heard this quote and it like really kind of rocked me to my core that like, if you want to know what the future is going to feel like, it's going to feel exactly like right now. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's like such a powerful reminder of like, this is happening right now. Like, it's not, I don't know, I think so often it can be so tempting to be like, you know, I'll feel successful when, or I'll feel happy when, or, you know, I'll fill in the blank when. And it's like, no, this is like what's happening right now is like part of the journey to whatever that when is. And so how can we be present for this part of it? Absolutely. Can I tell you one more thing? Yeah, please. So I'm look. I was looking around right now while I kind of panicked at your question. I was like, do I have any quotes on hand? And I just saw on my wall, which I never look at, and I should, there's this quote by, it looks like her name is Shirley Feeney. I feel like this is my second time reading it ever since I stuck it on my wall. And it says, dreams are the soul's pantry. Keep it well stocked and your soul will never hunger. And I think that's really a cute, beautiful way to make, follow your dreams into something more tangible. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Plus, I'm always here for a food metaphor. I know. I know. I think I'm also getting hungry. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, last question I wanted to ask you before we wrap up, because this is the Women Changing the World podcast, I have to ask if you could change one thing about the world, what would be the one thing that you would most want to change? Oh, wow. What an amazing and huge question. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to give every single person the courage to I th- I think the courage to accept that they deserve a life with dignity and happiness and joy and connection. And I think if more people truly believed that, they would be able to think more critically about the things they do and don't want. Like I just I feel like a world in which everyone believes that they deserve to have a good life and that everyone else deserves a good life as well would look really different than the world we live in now where people believe that like living a good life is scarce and only a few people can have it. So I think that's it. I'm sure my answer will change every single minute of today the more I think about this question, but that's it for now. Uh, I so appreciate and love that vision for the world. Um, And this has been so much fun, Nibby. I could talk to you forever, and I so appreciate your making time for our conversation. It has seriously been such a treat. I'm curious for people who are listening who want to, like, find you, follow you, keep up with you, know more about Soapbox Project. What's the best way for people to do that? Thank you for asking. And before I tell you that, I'm so grateful that we were able to do this. This has been so fun and Just the post-it note question made me so excited to truly cherish this conversation. So I just want to say thank you for that. Yay. Oh, my gosh. My pleasure. This has been like such a highlight of today. Uh, As far as Soapbox, I would encourage people to sign up at soapboxproject.org for our bite-sized action plans. I still – the same ones I was talking about when we started in 2019, they have hopefully gotten better and more well-written, but they are the same – easy approachable ways to take action and those are totally free because you know there's a lot of information out there in the world and we want to do our part to bring it to your inbox and for people that are looking for a greater sense of community we also have cohorts that we do a couple times a year but generally Liz what I'll say is the first step is always to grab our free action plans that way you can see if it's for you and if it's something you want to be involved in and just kind of get the vibe for what we're up to and then you can decide if you want to be part of our community we would love to have you uh but this journey is yours and we are here to support in whatever way we can ah i love it um well we'll make sure to include links um in the show notes for people who want to go deeper Uh, but thank you so much nibby for making time today it's been so much fun thank you for having me i am so excited about everything that you're doing and the other people you're meeting in this podcast and i could go on forever about how excited I am to have finally had the chance to chat with you. Oh, it's so mutual. This is just the beginning. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is Liz.Best, that's L-I-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting ElizabethBest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, 
plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch and I'll see you in the next episode.